Well, good morning. And um, what a passage. I'm going to leap straight in because um, we haven't really got enough time to cover everything. It's, it's the most, one of the densest passages um, in the entire New Testament, I think. And um, so I'm obviously not going to cover even some of the passages you perhaps think are the most key ones here. Um, but I'm going to think about this as a journey from dark to light, from death to life, birth and sight. Because the heart of the gospel is total transformation. Now, Nicodemus came at night. He came in the dark physically, but he came in the dark spiritually. And dark and light are a huge, significant thing in, in, in the book of John altogether, and you'll see that as we go on. And Nicodemus is not like many of the Pharisees. He approaches Jesus with respect. Jesus has no official credentials, but he calls him rabbi, teacher, acknowledges that Jesus is able to perform signs and miracles, is open-minded and accepting that Jesus may have radical ideas, and he wants to know more from someone he thinks of as a really great teacher. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And he gets what looks at first like a strange reply. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Um, and in some translations, that's born from above. Well, straight away, Jesus is actually saying something very radical and very hard for someone like Nicodemus to grasp. He's actually saying, in effect, you can't see yet. No one can see the kingdom of God. You can't see yet. Nothing you've done so far counts. You're going to have to start again from scratch like a newborn baby. Now, Nicodemus arrived believing he was doing everything right. He'd lived a moral life. He was following the religious traditions. He was reading his Torah. He was tithing, attending synagogue. He was a good man. And Jesus is saying, well, do you know what? Clearly, you don't need any more religion and more morality. He's saying, this is a level playing field, folks. You could be really good or you could be really bad. It doesn't matter. You have to start from scratch. And Nicodemus then says, but how can somebody be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. Now, I don't think Nicodemus was a fool. I don't think he was asking a literal question. He realized Jesus was speaking in a metaphor. But he wants Jesus to explain. He's not there to argue like some of the Pharisees. He wants to learn. Nicodemus is a really good listener. He wants to see but he's treating Jesus as a teacher who has much to teach him. And Jesus is saying, you know what? If you think of me as a teacher, if you see me as a teacher, you're not going to get anywhere. I'm not just your teacher. And by the time we get to verse 17, it's probably a good idea if you've got your Bibles handy. By verse 17, he's saying, 
you've got to see me as a savior. You've got to change the way you look at me. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I'm not your teacher so much as I am your savior. Start from scratch. You've done everything right, but you can't see. So what is it, this new birth, and what does it do? Well, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit, says Jesus. And this would have made Nicodemus think of Ezekiel's famous passage um, where the spirit is described as water in the desert. Jesus, uh, the Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and move you to follow my degrees and keep my laws. And this is a picture of God as water in a desert and water in a desert is life itself. And what Jesus is actually talking about is it's the divine life that gets planted in you. You actually don't do anything yourself. And Jesus mainly is using the metaphor of a baby being born. And um, I have um, leaned really heavily on um, a very famous preacher called Tim Keller, and he says that when a baby is born, it gets two things. It gets a new identity and a new sensibility. So let's start with sensibility. What he means there is when a baby is born... It sees, for the first time, it comes out of the dark into the light. It couldn't see before. It did hear a little before, but it didn't hear fully. It's got a new sense. And when you're born by the Spirit, your spiritual realities are suddenly set on fire. You are you are given something that you couldn't sense before. When I very first became a Christian, I hadn't been to church for years, but in the past, I'd really enjoyed singing hymns. But the first time I went to church with my sister, two or three days after I became a Christian, I turned to her and I said, the words, the words are amazing. They have a meaning. And I'd sung them for years and years and years in a Christian school. And I hadn't noticed any of the words but suddenly it was like a light coming on and my sister said the same thing she unlike me had gone to church religiously every week year after year after year and she said I used to feel great for the rest of Sunday morning and then by the afternoon it kind of wore off and had to wait till the next week but one year, 1984, she went to Lee Abbey and she was born from above. She suddenly met Jesus. And she said, it was like a light being switched on. I could see him. I could feel him. I could understand. So the next thing is your identity. When you're born, you're, you're a baby, you're a child of your mother. You now have a, a living identity. When we're born from above, well, our identity now is in Christ. It's as a child of God. And in the first chapter of John, and by the way, um, it's really worth, if you've never thought of this, which probably loads of you have, 
comparing the first chapter of John with John 3 because there are so many kind of tie-ins. Uh, but one beautiful tie-in is that in John 1, it says, you are given the right to become children of God, not by your own power, not by human decision, nor by our husband's will. You are born of God. In other words, it's not like a human birth that we did. God does it for us. Because when a baby's born, what does the baby do? It's the mother that does it. Um, but identity, your identity transforms you. Now, before I was a Christian, I tried. My identity was, did I have a boyfriend? Then I was valuable. Or my career was going well. So that was my identity. Or I had a husband, and now I had children. And that was my identity. But after a bit, it kind of wasn't, it, it didn't do anything for me. I didn't have an identity that made me feel good. And lots of these things went wrong. But when I had my identity in Christ, that doesn't collapse on you. And it gives you the power to actually become who you're meant to be. You have an identity in Christ and all other identities are going to let you down. Sorry, I'm fumbling a bit. It's my post-COVID. Um, <clears throat> so how are we going to get this? I know loads of you here already have experienced new birth. But Jesus points out in one very small sentence in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, we understand now because we're post the crucifixion. But this sentence to Nicodemus referred to a time of Moses in the desert when the people had sinned and there was a deadly plague of snakes and people were dying from snake bites. And the venom in their bodies kind of represented what was killing them in their spirit. It was their sin, basically. And Moses was told to put a bronze snake on a pole. And this is what it says in the Old Testament in Numbers. It says, God said, everyone who sees it shall live. And it says, if bitten, a person would look on the bronze serpent and live. Look to be healed. That's all they had to do was look. They couldn't help themselves they couldn't crawl even. They were too weak and ill. They could just look. And Jesus is doing the same thing at the crucifixion. And um, <clears throat> Tim Keller quotes um, Charles Spurgeon's conversion, which does illustrate this new life so beautifully. He was a great Baptist preacher of the 19th century. And um, he was a 15-year-old teenager and a very, very snowy day. And he couldn't get to his normal church, so he went round the corner. And round the corner, the normal vicar couldn't get there either. And there were only three or four people in the congregation. And so one ordinary layman got up, and he couldn't preach. So he read a single text from Isaiah 45. It was one verse. Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And this is what he said. You don't have to be worth thousands of pounds. You don't have to be worth anything to look. You can look whether you're good or bad. Don't look to yourself. There is no hope there. 
And then he put the words into Jesus' mouth. And he said, look to me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look to me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look to me. I'm dead. I'm buried. Look to me. I've risen and ascended, and I'm going to the right-hand side of the Father. Look to me. And then this man saw Spurgeon, and he said, young man, you look miserable. You'll be miserable in life and in death if you don't obey my text. And in that moment, Spurgeon realized he'd been looking for something to do to get his salvation. He had been looking to save himself. He'd been looking to himself and he realized that was no good, that he was spiritually bankrupt. He was helpless and he needed undeserved forgiveness. He needed the undeserved grace of Jesus, like a newborn baby. The newborn baby doesn't do it. And in this case, only Jesus can do it. A baby is born, and in those days in particular, before medicine, <clears throat> the baby was born at the cost of someone else's pain, someone else's suffering, and sometimes even at the cost of her life. And in chapter 16 of John, Jesus refers back to this metaphor in a very moving way. He's talking about his own death that's coming. And he says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. And whenever John talks about time coming, he's talking about Jesus's time on the cross to die. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets her anguish because of her joy that a baby is born into the world. And Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, will have such joy to see your life coming from my death. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. And what do we do? In a way, we don't do anything. The Spirit of God does it. Once we see, then we choose. So God opens my spiritual eyes to see. And so we believe. And then we turn away from ourselves and all the wrong things. I, I'd been totally going my own way for 30-something years. And I suddenly went, well, it doesn't work. Now I see Jesus, I'm going to go his way. And that was new life. I went away from the dark and into the light where I could see. I think this is a great moment to uh, welcome Sean up to the stage. So Sean uh, recently did an alpha with us. And um, uh, I think uh, some of his story perhaps resonates with that of Nicodemus. So... Sean, um, like Nicodemus, you already believed in God, but what was your background? Um, well, basically, um, uh, from quite a young age, I, I've been brought up as uh, uh, following my mother's religion, which was uh, Judaism. So um, I've been to, um, you know, uh, a lot of different colleges, and I'm very, very well versed in, in Jewish texts and, and things like that. So I had a 
uh, a big background in, in, in that. Um, but uh, a little bit like Nicodemus, you know, it's all about doing, um, and um, there isn't much of a personal relationship. So I kind of went away f from that a bit in, in, in later life. Um, I'm, I'm actually um, married to a lovely lady uh, who happens to be from an Italian Catholic uh, tradition, um, but from the time we were married almost 20 years ago now, we, we kind of just sort of, I don't ask her about her things, she doesn't ask about my things, and, and, and everything is harmonious uh, at, at home. And I know that you speak fluent Hebrew and you've read a lot of the Old Testament already in the original language. Um, so um, what happened to you during Alpha? I think there were two key reasons that you, the, the things that were sort of in your mind. Well, I mean, first of all, I came to Alpha because um, uh, during lockdown, um, uh, my daughter was uh, uh, talking to me a lot about um, what she was doing in RE in school, and I'm like, oh, she mother, that's not my side. Um, and, um, you know, she wasn't happy with the answer, and, and I was thinking, well, I don't really know anything about this. We're, we're kind of taught not to even look at these things. I'd never seen Isaiah chapter 53 or anything like that, so I, I was well-versed well in these texts, but certain texts we don't look at or, or even, uh, you know, uh, contemplate. And uh, so I started reading the New Testament. The, 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 my, my daughter's Bible was sitting on the desk where I'm in isolation working, and I thought I'd start reading. So I started with Matthew, and I'm looking at this thinking, this just looks like a continuation of everything I read before. So what, what's going on here? Why was I never shown this or, or, or look at this uh, in that way? Um, and so I looked for, well, okay, now I need to find out a bit more. I read some books, C.S. Lewis, very good book, by the way, and um, uh, Mere Christianity. Okay, so I came to Alpha because I, I wanted to find out more, more about it. And Alpha was here, and Prudence was uh, one of the people running it. And um, uh, it was very good because you could see more of a, a personal God and a personal relationship, which was something I think I'd been missing and, and something I could, I could relate to. Um, but also I got to the point where, you know, I was in, in the C.S. Lewis camp where, you know, you have to come to a point where either this is true or the whole thing's a fraud. And there is no in-between, so you have to take one or the other. So I was at that kind of stage when I came to Alpha. And, and what um, happened to you um, at the Holy Spirit weekend? Yeah, well, I have to tell you, much like Nicodemus, I'm a very technical person, so I would have probably answered the same thing about, you know, birth. What do you mean by that? You know, I would have probably come up with the same, <laughs> the same uh, question. Um, so I, was, I, I came with a bit of trepidation because I was thinking, I'm not really into that type of thing. It's not really my scene. But uh, before I came, I said, I, I, I prayed at home and I said, look, this is all making sense to me, but I, I, I really need you to show me, you know, is... You keep saying the door's open, so if the door's open, then you need to show me that the door is open and, and uh, you know, that I can walk through. Um, and uh, then I came to the Holy Spirit weekend, they bring the Holy Spirit down, and, and I didn't feel anything, and I was just standing there, and then uh, uh, this lady uh, taps me on the shoulder and says, um, um, I'm just getting this, this kind of uh, vision, this type of uh, uh, thing I'm seeing here, in that uh, it's like you're sitting in a doctor's waiting room. And um, uh, God just wants you to know that the, the, the door is open, you can walk through. And I'm like, how did she know that? <laughs> so uh, I kind of uh, asked my question and I got my answer. 
And what difference has, um, has it made to your life? Um, well, I think it, it, it's definitely made a difference to me in terms of, uh, you know, what I believe. But um, uh, I think the, the, the main thing really is here as well is like, like you were saying about, you know, before that happens, you can't really see and then after that. So I've, I've been um, on a little bit of a quest after this as well saying, okay, well, if, if this has happened to me, then... Uh, you know, I'm not seeing, uh, there must be more um, in, even in my texts about this. And I've been looking through even uh, Jewish texts and uh, uh, going back over stuff as well there and finding more and more where it's either explicit or implicitly referring to Jesus. And I found at least 40 places so far where that's the case. And I think, well, why didn't I not see this before? You know, so I kind of can relate to the fact that, you know, you, you don't see things and then, you know, your eyes are opened a little bit and then you can see. Let's give him a clap. <laughs> and I wonder if Nicodemus experienced change and transformation, and I think there are signs, um, because as we know, um, he reappears after Jesus' death. He goes with Joseph of Arimathea to members of the ruling council and asks for Jesus' body for burial. That was a hugely risky thing to do, to expose himself as being allied with a crucified criminal. Um, it's also a very humble thing because personally dressing a body for burial was either a woman or a slave's role. So he had lost his pride of religion, his pride of position, even his pride of being male, probably. <laughs> um, so I think we can see um, Sean experiencing transformation, and we start to see signs that Nicodemus was transformed. And what about us? I wonder where you are, what your questions are about Jesus. Are you still coming to church like my sister every week, and then it wears off? And would you rather it didn't wear off? Would you like Jesus to show you that light? Or um, then you need to search his words, ask him to give you spiritual sight. Because we can't get our approval from God by being good. And the good thing is we can't get rid of his love by being bad. But... <clears throat> For all of us, I think we need to keep receiving his unearned grace into our lives and acknowledge that we can't do anything of value unless he does it through us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the answer to every one of us here because in you is life and that life is the light of all mankind. Amen.